Um, if, if you want to know what, where, uh, what these invites look like, they're here uh, on the back table. Grab some on the way out for our candlelight service. All right. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter number two. Matthew chapter number two. Glad to have you today. Glad we can open up the Word of God together. There's some places in the world where you can't do that. You know that? Uh, like North Korea. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I am very, very thankful. Uh, our country is far from perfect, but I am thankful to be able to do the things that we're doing right now. Uh, John, uh, Matthew chapter number 2, Matthew 2, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, Matthew chapter number 2. And Miss um, Lori, behave, behave. <laughs> I, I don't know why you brought trouble this way, man. What is that all about? Uh, but Matthew chapter 2, all joking aside, it is a blessing to see you upright and moving like you are. Amen. We prayed for that for a long time. Matthew 2, and uh, let's start in verse number 1. This is a passage I'm, I'm sure that most of you that have gone to church, uh, most of you that have been around for any kind of Christmas a time of year, been around a service, you've probably read from this passage or know of this passage. And so it's not a new passage, but I want you to maybe look at it a little bit differently. And we're going to look at one of the characters in the passage that kind of reminds me of this guy. Um, and uh, you might remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, or if you don't, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you watch it growing up? Uh, but but you may remember that movie, and, and really what it is is overall it's a glimpse of someone's life and we're going we're gonna to kind of take a glimpse of someone's life this morning. And, and the guy's just miserable. You ever been around someone's miserable? It's no fun. <laughs> let's go. Let's do, this, let's do this a different way. Have you ever been someone that's miserable? You're no fun when you're miserable, right? Um, and so look at Matthew 2. Look at verse number 1. We'll start here. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. I don't know about you. I don't like people that demand things. All right. They're just, just miserable people. This is Herod. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and I is quoted, the, the, the prophets are quoting the scripture. This is from Micah. Art not, the, uh, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee, out of Bethlehem, shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, that means privately called them, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they, heard that, that when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I want you to notice the wise men's response in verse number 10. And I recognize there's a lot of folklore, legend that is, uh, here's a big word, extra canonical. You see what does that mean? That doesn't come from the Bible that people make up about this story. And I get all that. 
But let's stick to the story. What you've got is you've got some wise men. It doesn't say how many, at least two, right? Because it's plural. And, and so here these men are, and they're rejoicing in verse 10. Now, now look at verse 16. To contrast that, look at the, the response from Herod. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. So one group's happy and they're excited and they're rejoicing, and one guy's angry. And sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts that are from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. I want to subscribe to you before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning that you are going to fulfill Scripture in some way. Your life will fulfill. The wise men fulfilled Scripture and they rejoiced. Herod fulfilled Scripture and he was miserable. And I want to give you some things to look at at Herod's life that I, I pray will help you avoid making the same mistakes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Eric, it's good to have you. I know you and your wife are doing shifts today because the kids aren't, aren't uh, doing so well. I appreciate seeing people do that. You know, they don't have to do that. I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on you, but his wife taught Sunday school. He had the kids in the car, you know, and then he comes in to lead music and she goes. And that, that's a blessing when people go the extra mile to take care of responsibilities. I appreciate that. Brother Eric, if you take us to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I, 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 would, I would just kind of call your attention to the fact that sometimes people can be in the exact same place and one person can get a blessing and be excited and rejoice and another person's miserable. I, 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 listen, I've watched this even at church where I, I see someone come in and, you know, one person's kind of on the edge of their seat and they're like, yeah, yeah. That's in there? That's great. That's awesome. Never saw that. And they're excited. And then I see someone else, and they're kind of like, <laughs> you know, they're looking at the clock, you know, looking at me like, when are you going to be done? <laughs> you know, and they kind of got that bless me if you can look on their face. And you look at it, you go, well, how is that possible? In the same room, people hearing the same book, preaching from the Word of God, one person's response is joy and excitement, and another person's response is misery. How does that happen? I'm going to tell you, it's not always the environment, and it's not always the condition. It's something inside of you. You ever looked at a family and two kids raised in the same home, and one kid walks away and goes, my life was hard. My dad didn't kill me. You know, this happened and that happened. You know, and then just talk about everything that was negative in their life. And then another kid's like, man, I remember Christmas. I remember growing up. It was awesome. I had a great child. My parents loved me. You're like, wait, are you guys from the same house? Are you guys like half? No, no, no. We're full brothers raised in the same house. How do you have that different of a perspective? How about this? How about Cain and Abel? 
Guys, talk about, talk about dysfunctional families. Here's a family that had no, like, bad heritage. There was nothing like, it wasn't like, I come from, you know, my grandpa was a drunk, and his grand, grandpa was a drunk, and his grandpa was a drunk, and therefore I'm a drunk. But Cain could not claim that, you understand? It was like Adam and Eve, and now there's us, right? And so, there, listen to me, there was no bad crowd to fall into. There is no bad crowd at that point. It's just like them, right? Their family. Came out, I was like, well, who are you going to see this weekend? Well, it's just us. Still just us. Mom, you want to pump out some more babies? You know, it's still just, I mean, I mean, there they are, their family. And here you got Cain and Abel from the same family, same exact home. And what does Abel do? Abel brings a sacrifice to God. He enjoys worshiping God. And then Cain gets upset and he's wroth and he kills his brother. What in the world? You talk about dysfunction and not because of society. There wasn't any of those elements there yet. It was just a matter of the heart. Some people enjoy life and some people are miserable. Some people survive and some people thrive. And I'm not talking about psychobabble, you know, just believe you can do it and you'll do it. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I don't believe that. But I will say this. I will say that God did not put you, if you're saved, God did not allow you to be born and then allow you to be born again so you could walk through life in misery. You know, God, God wants you to live an abundant life. Have joy in your life. You know what? When it comes to being miserable, I think of a couple passages of scriptures. The Bible says, if only in this life we have hope of the resurrection, then we are as most men miserable. Can I say this? If I was lost and I had no concept of eternity, and I thought there was nothing else after this, and this is the closest I came to heaven, I'd be miserable. I'd probably be drinking myself to death. Or, 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 do, or whatever else I could do to forget my misery. That's where a lot of people are at in society. Can I say this? If you're lost without Jesus Christ, you don't have to be miserable. There is hope, and Jesus Christ is the hope for the hopeless. Amen? But, but, but can I also say this? The Bible does describe in Revelation a church that, that, that the Bible calls miserable and poor and blind and naked. And not because they are uh, physically poor, but they're spiritually poor. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that when my value system is off as a believer, even though I have found him who my soul so long has craved, when my value system is off and I don't value the things that God values, I can be miserable even as a believer. That's right. it, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy. Say it again. Joy. Tell your face that. Joy. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Listen, I, I'm not telling you that you have to be fake or anything like that, but you know, cracking a smile every once in a while wouldn't hurt some of you. Having some joy expressed in your life over who God is and what he's done for you. You know, it's, I, I've watched the kids, you know, they, I, they, we don't allow this in our home, but man, I've seen it before. You know, a kid gets there and they're opening presents, you know, on Christmas or their birthday. It's like, it's not what I wanted. Boy, that would be the last time you ever said that in my house. You little stinking brat. And some of your parents are like, yeah, you get them. But the reality is this, God is our father and we act that way oftentimes. This isn't what I wanted. Well, listen, that's life. And you choose whether you want it to be miserable or joyful. That's on you. That's not on God giving you. God ain't Santa Claus, by the way. He's not here to give you everything that you want. He does not want a bunch of spoiled, rotten, brat punk kids. 
God wants some children that are grateful that say, God, thank you for not throwing my soul in hell like I deserve. Thank you for letting me breathe. And Lord, I don't have to think about it. My mind is working. My heart is pumping. My wife hasn't killed me. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Do you know what that is? That, that's, that, that's an expression of joy. Paul says this. He says, I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Look again at verse number 10. The Bible says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And yet, I look at verse 3. You know what I see about Herod? I see he's troubled. You know, you know I, I've learned, I, I believe this. I believe this. Joy is a choice. And so is misery. And you choose it. I had someone recently go, you know, when these people get on, you know, say things like, choose joy, it's like you act like, you know, I want to be depressed. No, I'm, I'm not saying you want to be, but I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I know, I'm, I know, I use the D word. Some of you are like, dude, stay out of there. Stay out of there, preacher. You're not a psychologist. Stay out of there. Can, can I just say this? The Bible speaks about every stage of life. You know, the Bible speaks about women that can't have children. The Bible speaks about, about relationships falling apart because of adultery. The Bible speaks about any, just about anything you could think of in your, the Bible speaks about what happens when you get drunk and you do and say things you shouldn't do. The Bible deals with all kinds of things that we're still dealing with 2,000 years later. You understand that? The Bible is not like void of these subjects. And when it comes to the idea of depression, I'm not going to tell you that every time someone's depressed, that they woke up and said, I want to be depressed. I don't believe that. But I will say this. There are thousands, maybe millions of choices along the way, seconds of your life where you can choose to, to, to take joy as your main part of your life. Or you can choose to say, I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't have things unfold in my life like I designed, like I wanted. Therefore, I'm miserable. And can I say this? That is a choice. Those are choices that you make. Whether you're saved or lost, this is true. But if you're a born-again child of God, that much more you should understand this. I remember reading a story about Luciano Pavarotti, the, the, the famous Italian tenor. And uh, the, the story goes like this. You know, he wants to, uh, he's a great singer and he sits under this guy, uh, I forget the guy's name, Paola Ago or something like that, some Italian name, you know, like you imagine, right? And, and uh, he ends up going to school for this, and he ends up going to his dad, and he goes, Dad, I love to sing, but I want to teach. Should I be a teacher or should I be a singer? Right? And some of you go, well, do both. Well, well, listen to what the dad said. He says, son, there are two chairs, and you can only sit in one. You choose which chair you sit in. So this morning, what I'm saying to you is, you choose whether you're joyful or miserable. You didn't choose everything that happens to you. You don't choose everything that comes your way, but you choose joy over misery, or you choose misery over joy. And and this is not a concept that is void in the Bible. You see it over and over and over. I, I read this. Everything in your life is a reflection of choice you have made. If you want a different result, make a different choice. That's just the reality. Be miserable or motivate yourself. Whatever has to be done, it's always your choice. These are matters of choices. And Herod, I believe because of who he thought he was, in spite of who God is, Herod says to himself, I'm the king. I design my life. I decide what's going to happen. I decide if there's another king. And he was miserable because of what took place. Here you have the Christmas story, if you will, and it's a time of rejoicing. Can I say this? Mary and Joseph rejoice. The wise men rejoice. The shepherds rejoice in Luke chapter 2. 
And here this guy had a chance to rejoice as well. Now, some of you might be going, well, didn't the Bible say that this had to happen in the book of Jeremiah about, you know, the, the slaying of the children? Someone had to fulfill that prophecy. A thousand percent, yes. Herod chose it to be him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Herod chose it to be him by how he responded to the circumstances of life. You are going to validate scripture one way or another, either on the, chance, on the side of joy or on the side of misery, but you're going to prove it to be true. And, and the difference between those two extremes, those polar uh, extremes, if you will, of joy and misery, the difference is what you choose. Now, let me give you some things. If you want to know what it's like to live a miserable life, can I give you just some things to consider this morning? Number one, it's a miserable life because it's a self-absorbed life. Look at verse number three. You want to be miserable? Think about you all the time. I'm being, I'm being honest with you. You know why mo- when most people get miserable and depressed, it's because what do they think of me? Well, how do I look? What, a, what, what am I going to say? But me, me, I, 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 self, self, self. Uh, Herod in verse 3, the Bible says that he was troubled. Why would you be troubled? Because it's supposed to be about me. Who's this other king showing up? There should be no other king. I am the designer. I am the, 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 the one that designs how this goes in my life. There should be nobody else imposing their will on me. Now I'm miserable because it should all be about me. Can I say this? Jesus Christ points to us a very different way of living. He points to us a way of joy. And it doesn't come by you thinking about you. I, I read this. I think this is outstanding. About a man that collected some data to suggest that we have seen a broad shift from a culture of humility to the culture of what you might call the big me. From, from a culture that encouraged people to think humbly of themselves to a culture that encouraged people to see themselves as the center of the universe. From 1948 to 1954, they did a study among 10,000 adolescents, that's kids about this age over here, whether they consider themselves to be a very important person or not. At that point in time in our history, 12% said yes. 12%. In 1989, not last year, like 30-some years ago, they did this again. And you know what they found out? 80% of young men said, yeah, yeah, I'm important. And 77% of young women say, yeah, I'm actually, they said things like, they should write a book about me. (laughs) This is an actual study. These are the things that they said. Uh, They said, I'm an extraordinary person. I like to look at my body. You know what that is? That is self-absorbing. It's all about you. You want to be miserable in life? Think about you. Walk into church and go, no one shake my hand. Why don't you shake somebody else's hand? Well, I've been here for three months, and no one's... If you've been here for three months, how could you avoid saying hi to someone for three months? Whose fault is that? It's not their fault. Why don't you get up and do it yourself? Well, they should come to me. Ah, there's a problem, King Herod. I'm the center of the universe. You come talk to me. Listen, let me tell you something right now. If that's the attitude of a believer, you are going to miss out on what God wants for your life. And you will stay miserable because you think it's all about you. And when things happen at church, listen, we might move our church. And if, if the Lord blesses this thing happens and we move, I don't know, 10 minutes more, some people go, well, did they not think about me? I'm on the south side of town. Sorry, we got people that live two hours away north from us. I gave them 10 minutes closer. You're welcome. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about, though? When, when these things happen, you see the human nature come out in a way where, man, the real issue is I'm miserable because I'm thinking about me. Can I tell you about a man in the Bible named Saul? He was very humble in his beginning. Matter of fact, when God anointed him to be king, the prophets told him, you're going to be the king, and 
You know what he didn't do? He didn't go blab about it. He didn't go on Facebook. He didn't go on TikTok and dance about it. He didn't go on, on you know, uh, be real and take a picture of himself and put, you know, whatever. He didn't go on Instagram. He didn't go on, he, he just said, okay, that's what God wants for me. That's what God wants for me. Then his uncle asked him, hey, what was that prophet talking about? Ah, uh, something about some donkeys that got lost. He didn't even mention it. That's where he started. A couple chapters later, they have this battle. David and Goliath, sound, anybody know that story? Sound familiar, right? And so David wins, you know, and Goliath dies, and David chops his head off. And, and then later on in that chapter, the women come out. David is, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. So, and they got the cheers out, you know, they got the pom-poms and everything, and they're doing flips, and, and Saul's out there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I hear that correctly, it sounds to me like you're giving him more attention than me. You understand? And you know what Saul does? Saul goes, you know what? I want to kill that guy. For what? For fighting a battle you told him to fight? And now you're angry at him? You say, what is that? It's someone that just cannot, they went from being humble to it should be about me. And later on, listen, it's, it blows my mind away. Saul almost kills his own son. You know why? Because I, if I'm not avenged of my enemies, nobody's going to eat. So Jonathan's starving, he dips his stick in the, in, the, in the ground, grabs some honey, eats it, and goes, man, I feel like I'm awake again. You ever fasted before? Anybody ever fasted here? Yeah. All right, I don't, I don't mean like for dietary purposes, like I need to lose some pounds to go to the Christmas party, you know, that kind of thing. I don't mean that. I mean like you fasted for the Lord, right? And before you ever fasted, you're like, oh, food's not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And then you fast, and then like halfway through the day, you're like, and why am I seeing Twinkies dancing on the shelves? <laughs> like donuts are literally calling my name. I can see them. I can, right? You're like, what's going on? Be- because, man, food, food is a big part of life, amen? And, and so here is Jonathan going, man, we can't march. We can't fight if we don't eat. And Saul goes, you know what? If I'm not avenging my enemies, you're not eating. And whoever does eat, they're dead. Saul was going to kill his own son if it wasn't for the Israelites standing in the way going, no, 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 he, no one's going to die today. This is a day of victory. We're not doing that. You know why Saul did that? Because it's all about me. And if you die, you die. One time, Saul's chasing David, trying to kill an innocent man. You know what Saul says? <laughs> this is great. I love you. I, I, I love this. That all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me. Every go, oh. No one's sorry for me. Why aren't you sorry for me, Thomas? I mean, like, yeah, I'm trying to kill an innocent man, but you should feel for me. Do you know how I was raised? You know what I went through? You know the trauma in my life? You should feel sorry for me. Parents, by the way, that's the worst way to raise your child. Make them a self-absorbed center of the universe brat. And then they come to church, and when they do wrong and they're called on it, it's like, oh, but you don't know. I know. I know what every child's like, including my own. They're sinners. Amen. But you know what the reality is? Saul is going, you don't know what I've been through. Dude, you're trying to kill an innocent man. I don't care what you're trying to say about it. You know what the problem is with you, Saul? All you think about is you. At the end of his life, you know what he says? I have played the fool. You know what a foolish life is? A self-absorbed life. You see, joy comes from Jesus first, others second, and you last. And when you get it the other way around, it's yodge, and nobody even knows what that means. 
You know what Jesus says? If any man will come after me, listen, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Listen, deny himself. Deny himself. Like, like, okay, for example, you walk into a room and they're not willing to trust God. Instead of fighting that fear with faith, you fight it with control. You know what it is? It's a vicious cycle. You know what Herod, you know what Herod was miserable? He was trying to control everything around him. Let me gather everyone around me. Let me demand of them where Christ should be born. You know what it reminds me of? Jacob. You know what Jacob is? He's a supplanter. He's a schemer. He's a controller. He wants to just manipulate everything and get out of it whatever he can. Why? Because if I live by faith, that makes me vulnerable. And if I'm vulnerable, I've got to trust God. And if I'm trusting God, you know what that means? I have to live by faith. So instead of living by faith, I'm going to live in fear. And the way I'm going to express that is by trying to control people and things around me. I've watched people come to church, and because they can't control things around them, they're gone. Amen. I've watched it in families. I'm going to control. By the way, gentlemen, let me just say this right now. You are called to lead, not to manipulate and control. There is a difference. All right, first of all, I guess just to start with the fact that you should lead, I kind of tell right there, people are like, why not? Equal opportunity. Didn't you hear, Brother Craig? Women can put a nail to a guy's head just like anybody else. <laughs> all right, but, but as far as leadership goes, God's called you men to do that, and the way you're supposed to do that is lovingly and graciously and as a servant, Amen. not as a control freak. You know what God doesn't do? God himself doesn't control you. Why would you get off thinking you're supposed to control other people? Or control things around you. I just got to make sure that everything, exactly. I'm not talking about being safe with your children. I'm not talking about putting safeguards in your life and structure in place that's biblical. But you trying to control, it'll drive you crazy. You know what lesson I had to learn as a pastor? I can't control you. Oh, man, I tell you what, when I first started our church, many, many moons ago, when we started our church, if someone's having a problem, like, I got I got to drop in there. I got to tell them, here's what you got to do. You got to do this. You do and you know what? They weren't even asking me. Right. I was just jumping and kicking the door down going, here's what you got to do. And they're looking at me going, why are you here? <laughs> and you know what that is? That's, a, that's something inside of us that goes, I have to fix it all. And listen, some things aren't for you to fix. Listen, God was working some things out supernaturally, and Herod could have responded a different way. But instead, he expresses what he's expressed so far in his life, which is this. I'm going to control the situation. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You cannot grow closer to God without faith. And do you know what faith is? It is the opposite of your fears being played out. When you're, fe- you know what you do? You go, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if this? And what if, you know, in the 80s, <laughs> what if the Russians attack us? Remember, you guys remember the school? Okay, I wasn't there, but I've seen pictures from the 60s where the kids are going under the desks in case of nuclear attack. Who lived through that? Raise your hand. Did you actually think you would escape nuclear uh, materials from being under a wooden and aluminum desk? Probably not, I'm thinking. I'm thinking probably not, but you know what that is? That's just to give you a sense of some kind of false sense of security. I can kind of control this, but the reality is you can't. You can't control everything. You know, there's some things that God, I, I believe God allows in our life to just to show us, I don't want you to be Jacob. I don't want you to try to control everything. I want you to learn to live by faith. You want to have a miserable life? Try to control everything and everybody around you. It is very tiring. You know what's liberating? Going, God, I've done what I could. 
You know what it says in Mark 14, whenever that woman comes and anoints the feet of Jesus Christ, his commentary on that thing is, she hath done what she could. In other words, listen, once you've done what you can do, the rest is in God's hands. And instead of trying to control people and things and circumstances and situations, you know what, you know what Jacob did his entire life? Jacob, his entire life, did what he, what he could do to try to manipulate and get out of something what he thought was best for him. It wasn't till the end. Listen, after Jacob works for Rachel, you remember that story? Listen, I love my wife. I did not have to work seven years, let alone 14 years. I mean, here's this guy. He's like, ooh, she is good looking. You know what the Bible said? I mean, the Bible says, you know, Leah was tender-eyed, you know, and, but, but boy, Rachel, she was well-favored. Man, she was pretty. And so he goes, I really want that. Okay, well, in our land, you have to work seven years for it. Remember the story? And so after he schemes his brother out of, out, of the, out of the blessing, he goes one day, and it's his wedding day, and he wakes up the next morning. It's not the bride that he was working for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, at that moment in time, I'd be like, okay, so can I do an exchange or something? Can we do a swap? And you know what the dad goes, oh, my bad, seven more years. That's where I'm like, I like her, but I don't like her that much. You know what he does here for seven more years? Jacob is all about getting what Jacob wants. And when Jacob leaves Laban's house, his father-in-law's house, he does what he can to manipulate what sheep are born to him and what cattle he takes and how much he can leave with. He's all about getting what he can, controlling everything. And he says at the end of his life, few and evil have been the days or the years of my life. How old are you? 130 years old. That doesn't sound like few. But you know, when you live your life that way, you just look back and go, I could have done so much different. I could have been different. I could have been what God wanted me to be, and I wasted so much time. Because I try to control people and manipulate people and the situation to get out of it what's best for me. Kids learn this from a very early age. Amen. You know, dad said that I could do this. And and the mom goes, dad said that? Yeah. (laughs) And then mom's like, did you say? I'm like, not like that. I didn't. I said they could do that after they did this and this. Oh, yeah. Dad did say that. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny how you forgot that. You say, what is that? Manipulation. Is trying to control the situation and get out of it what I can. And when we adults get older, we don't quit that, unfortunately. We become more schemy about it. We become a little more mm, like this about it, but it's still there. You know what Herod's problem was? He was trying to control everything, and he was miserable because of it. I believe this. The closest thing to being in control that we'll ever be is in the moment when we realize that we're not in control. You know what a controlling spirit is? It's the spirit of fear. And the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear. You know why you're trying to control? Because you have fears, and rather than turn them over to God, you go, I'll just do this my way. And, I'll, and to safeguard against that fear, you try to control it, and it's a vicious cycle that just keeps perpetuating. And you don't have to raise your hand, but does anyone know what I'm talking about? I've been there, and I can tell you right now, it is a miserable way to live. The Bible says that when Herod saw he was mocked, he killed a bunch of kids. How much damage can be done with a controlling spirit? Well, maybe thousands of lives were lost because of it. 
You go, well, I'll never be here. I'll never go that far. Maybe not. But if you ruin a marriage, you can ruin a family, you can ruin a church, you can ruin a lot of things because of your desire to try to control things. And it's not of the Lord. You know what? I, you know, we're doing the, doing the stretches, you know, getting over a ball and doing this, you know. And like you say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm 39 weeks. I feel like 20 years pregnant at this point. And uh, doing everything we can do. But you know, at the end of the day, I can't coach her out of there. <laughs> that baby, God has got to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, uh, like, you, there's so much you can do, and after that, you're done. You know what hair is all about? How can I control everything and everyone around me to get what I want? It seems to me like it's not working. It seems to me like he's miserable as a result of it. You know what my job is? Point you to the truth. Make sin look ugly. Show you the right way. Pray for you. Let you know I love you. and Just try to teach you you can do what's right. But I can't control you. You have to choose. And whenever I learned that, it helped me. I hope you learned that. Herod didn't learn that. Let me give you this. Look, if you would, at verse number four again. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them. You know what a miserable life is? An entitled life. You owe me. (laughs) How dare you treat you, you, I deserve better. Based on what? What makes you think you deserve better? Amen. Like, what makes you, in what universe does it mean that you should have the things that you think you should have? Based on what? Based on scripture? Based on your, your heart? Based on your opinion? Can, can, I, can I say it like this? An entitled life is a miserable life. I, I read this from Bill Bailey. We live in the age of entitlement as opposed to the age of enlightenment. <laughs> Entitlement is the inverse of gratitude. Entitlement feels that it is owed to me that you listen to me. And that's exactly where Herod was at. When David acted this way, he got a man killed. When Saul acted this way, he tried to kill David. When Jonah talked this way, he was miserable. You know what God says to him? Doest thou well to be angry? I do well to be angry, even unto death. I don't deserve this. Entitlement. You know why Herod is saying, I demand that you listen to me? I demand. Because he felt it's owed to me. Can I say this, guys? If you're a born-again child of God, God's giving you his grace. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. He's giving you his Bible. He's giving you a church to come to. He's giving you a family. God has blessed you beyond what you deserve and beyond what I deserve. There are moments in my life where I'll just sit in my bed and just cry, looking up at the, at, at, at the ceiling, thinking of God, how good he's been to me. Why? Because, man, whenever I even start to think, I deserve this, I stop, man. I go, man, I don't deserve what I do have. God has been better to me than I deserve. That entitlement mind is not of God. Amen. And it's spread throughout our culture. Like, I, oh, listen, let me just tell you something. It is not a universal right to have the internet. Right. <laughs> if you don't have the internet, you might be better off anyways. And yet now we're going, we got to give the internet to people that don't have it. Maybe they're better off without it. You ever think about that? Well, no, no, we got to stay connected. We got to, first off, I'm pretty darn sure if someone finds a way to get the things that they want everywhere else, they could get that. But for the idea that we're putting in our society that it is owed to somebody to have the internet, that's not a healthy idea. You're not owed anything. Do you realize that? The Bible says with food and raiment therewith, be content. Herod wasn't that way. He demanded. You say, why? 
Because I deserve it. I deserve, let, okay, here's one. I deserve to be happy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know what pursuit means? You may find it. You may not. I mean, when you're pursuing, you know, your children, you, you may find them, you may not. When you're pursuing a wife, put on more cologne, right? Yeah, yeah. right? Some gel, some gel, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, when you pursue something, it doesn't mean you automatically get it. It means you're pursuing it. And by the way, if your point in life is to go, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I deserve to be happy, you're never going to be happy. Because that's not how you find happiness. Happiness is found in Jesus Christ and serving him. The happiest people I know on this planet, outside of those that are temporarily happy because of mushrooms, all right, outside of that, the happiest people I know on this planet are born-again Christians that are living their life not for themselves, but for Jesus Christ and for other people. This entitlement mentality is spreading all over our society, all over Western civilization, and it is spilling into the church. You deserve this. Listen, let me tell you what I deserve. I'm not going to tell you what you deserve. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to be blind for things I've looked at. I deserve to have my hand chopped off for things that I've touched. I deserve, that's what I, you show. oh, you're, you're just being self-deprecating. No, according to the Bible, that's what I deserve. And yet God's been very good to me. Entitlement will kill you. It'll make you think, I should be here. You know? People talk about, I got my dream job, you know, I work remote, and I take my dog in 40-hour walks, you know, and... <laughs> You know, my boss never checks in on me because they just know I'm an adult. I'm adulting right now. And like, like whatever. <laughs> you know, you go on LinkedIn, everybody's about their dream job. Listen, you don't always have your dream job. I was talking to a 16-year-old and like, I just haven't found what makes me happy. I'm like, you're 16. My first job was picking up poop in a tire shop. This owner of a tire shop let his dog walk around everywhere, poop everywhere. He's like, your job is to pick it up. I'm like, praise the Lord, give me money. I'll do it. It wasn't my dream job, but it was a job. You're probably not going to find the, the, the reason, the purpose of your, the passion of your life when you're 16 and 17 in a job. You might just have to learn to say, uh, my pleasure. Right? right? I mean, but what I'm getting, we got this idea that I deserve to have this now. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're 20, you may not have what your parents have at 50. And that's okay. You know, you go, oh, the way the housing market is, I'll never have it. I don't know what to tell you about that. Here's what I can tell you. With food and raiment there, with be content. Amen. Entitlement will kill you. And let me just say this. When things happen in your life, like it did in Herod's life, he wasn't expecting Jesus to show up. You, are you with me? He wasn't expecting the circumstance to change. He wasn't expecting the spotlight to shift from him to somebody else. He wasn't expecting any of that. So when things come up in your life that are unexpected, how you respond to them can make all the difference in the world. And he responded like an entitled brat. Look, if you would, at verse number eight in our passage. You know, Pastor, when are you going to make me feel good? After I make you feel bad. Amen? That's kind of how it works. Look at verse eight. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. Why? Because I just really, really care about him. And when you find him, let me know so we can worship him together. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Herod really wanting to worship the Lord? You know, it's a miserable life. Living a double life. 
you know what will wear you out? Acting one way at church. <laughs> Living like the devil. No, don't, don't listen to me. We all fail. We all fail. When someone goes, I don't go to church because the hypocrites in the church. Well, I'm glad you left. You were one of them. Right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There's stinking hypocrites at Walmart. Do you see what goes into Walmart? I mean, there's a lot that goes there. Hypocrites at Walmart, hypocrites at the bank, hypocrites, dare I say it, at Chick-fil-A, bro. <laughs> Holy chicken. Oh. There's hypocrites everywhere. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about living a perfect life. But I will say this. When you specifically aim to express yourself one way, and then you change who you are. He, listen, God's tested me. God's put me in business where I'm in church and then I'm in with business people. You know what God says to me all the time? They're watching. They're watching. They're watching. Just, yeah, yeah. Oh, just one sip. Won't be a big deal. They're watching. They're watching. Oh, oh just, just one. Uh, they're watching. You go, well, I don't want to live a life where people are watching me. Then get off social media, you hypocrite. Right. You're on like five different platforms. I don't know why everybody's watching me because you put yourself out there. That's why they're watching you. Well, I, I, you know, I just don't want that person to watch me because they're judging me. Let me just say this right now. Whether they tell you they're judging you or not, they're judging you. Okay? So, so, so listen, here's the real, the real deal is this. Don't be one way with God and another way with other people. You know what's really, we try to teach our kids this. If you just tell the truth, there's a lot less to have to remember. When you're like, hey, like, let's tell mom and dad this, right? And then, like, you go there, and then, like, it starts to break down. And you're like, I, I, let me tell you something right now. My wife is like a DA. She <laughs> separates the children. She goes, let me write this down. Are you saying, oh, was that 937? Hold on a second. Okay, so what time did you say? Oh, it was 941. Okay, I think we have a problem. Adrian, start beating them now. <laughs> Execute justice. We'll ask questions later. Whoa, slow down, slow down. This is a day in the life of my house. But, you know, we tell our kids, like, don't, 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 don't make this harder on you. You know what's going to make it harder on you? When you express to be something here or with the Lord. And then you change. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about I made a mistake. I'm talking about you purposely going, I'll be here this way. And I'll be here this way. Amen. I want to I take a moment to commend some people. I, I'm not with you at school. I don't know. But I can tell you, from what I can see, you're taking some things on the chin because you take your Bible to school and things like that, and people make fun of you and all that. That's all right. That's a good thing. Amen. You, you'd be a bigger man for doing that than for doing what everybody else says. And, and don't think it's going to stop once you're an adult. Right. People tell dirty jokes at, at work, and they would just, how does he respond? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, you knew what that meant? I'm not 12. <laughs> I just don't want to get involved in your silly foolishness. I'm not in high school either, so why are you acting like you are? Right. Trying to goad me to see if I respond that way? You know what that is? They're trying to see, is he like the rest of them? I literally had someone this last week tell my daughter, 
you know what? Your parents are the only people that I've, and I'm not saying this to brag on me. I've got to be careful with how I say this, but I've known a lot of Christian people that put on a good face, and this person said to my daughter, your parents are the only people that I know that are not from the background that I came from that actually believe what they say they believe. They live it out, and they're genuine about their faith. This person has come, and by the way, this came as a result of my daughter being able to witness to this person about the gospel, and another one of my employees witnessed to this person about the gospel, and I was like, yeah, you get them, that's awesome. I've been praying for that person, but you know what that shows me? They're watching. Amen. You know what Herod says? Oh, I just want to worship him. I mean, oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let, like, that's me. If there was a drum, I'd be the drummer boy. Like, that's who I am. And, and everyone's like, okay, then why does God tell us to not come back this way because you're living a double life and boy that is a miserable way to live you know living a lie is pretty costly just ask i believe this we're gonna get to heaven you guys want to meet people when you get to heaven right like 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 people that taught me the bible i I can't wait to see brother billy again and just rejoice over that you know right now he's excited the cowboys are nine and three amen right he's i'm I'm just calm calm down all right some of you are like ready to stone me for that i get it but but you know i can't wait to see people that i've known and people that i've read about like these missionaries that went before us and they were awesome amazing stories you read those books and go why can't god do that now he can if we just submit like they did but like like you read those and go i can't wait to meet adam Adam judson i can't wait to meet you know this person in church history and then like i think to myself i want to meet ananias and sapphira (laughs) <laughs> like, I do, I do, I really, hey guys, how's it going? Um, so, like, like how was it? Like, how did it feel to be like, yeah, I gave everything to God, and like, you're dead, and then like, you wake up in heaven, right? Some of you are like, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> Read it, it's in Acts chapter 5. But can you imagine, like, I mean, it's one thing to be like Paul the Apostle, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have set, you know, and, he, and then go out in a blaze of glory, and you get your head chopped off, and you wake up in heaven, and you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. After you die, because you lied about what you gave, what is it, what happens when you get there? Is the Lord like, well, <laughs> not how I planned this, son. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, but, but you know what I would say about NS and Sapphira? Living a lie is costly. Look, if you would, at verse number 19 in our passage. After the wise men meet Jesus, and they open up their gifts, and they present their gifts. Oh, so much good stuff in that passage. Like, I have a hard time with Christmas, because I just want to preach all the passages all the time. There's not enough time. Right. Some of you are like, you're right. It's time to be done. Amen. <laughs> no, look, look at verse 19. Just read the first five ver- words in that verse. You know what eventually happens to everybody in this room? You're going to die. You trying to scare me? No, it's the reality of life. You're born, you die. And you know who outlived Herod? The baby he was trying to kill. You know who is the ancient of days who will outlive all of us? Jesus Christ himself. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You know what I would say about verse 19, but when Herod was dead, you don't have to read the rest of the verse, just know that he died. You know what Herod did? A lot of people do. They live a short vision life. They live for what they can get right now. They're not thinking, someday I'm going to die. And the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 
Can you imagine living a life like Herod for himself, about himself, controlling, demanding, entitled, and get to the end and go, I'm the great Herod, and he kicks the bucket and he wakes up in hell. And he knows right away who God is. See, there are no atheists in hell. And he knows right away what happened. But he lived his life for right now. You know what some of you are doing? You know why you're miserable on a Sunday morning in church, even though you're saved? Because you're looking at things right now that in eternity won't matter to a hill of beans. Who wins this Sunday? What does the president do? (gasps) The Twitter files. It's all coming out now. (laughs) You know, they see me scrolling. You know, you go, you know, and you're just doing that thing forever. Look, what is that going to do for you in eternity? Yep. Herod lived for what, what, what he could get right now. Someday. Davis says, my, my days are as in hand, hand breath. I start here, I end here. Pretty short. The Bible says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. Can I ask you, born again, child of God? Are you living your life for Jesus? Or is it about you? When God does things in your life, do you say, I don't deserve this? Or do you say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came into this world, naked shall I depart. All right? And after and between there, we don't want you naked, okay? Come in, go out, that's it. Amen. But you came in with nothing, you leave with nothing, and you leave it all behind. Question, what are you leaving behind? You know what Herod left? He left a legacy for being the guy that's known for killing thousands of innocent children. What a legacy. You go, well, they're not going to say that about me. What will they say about you? What kind of funeral do you think Herod had? Who do you think was lined up to say, this is how Herod was a blessing in my life. I remember my preacher when he passed away. I remember having the service and, and wanting to go for hours and hearing different people talk about how he touched their lives. That's how I want to go out. Not like that guy. You know what makes the difference? Do you choose joy or do you choose a miserable life? Hey, no, no, no joke here. If you're saved, it should be a wonderful life. It should be a joyful life. It shouldn't be miserable. Hard times, yes. Things you don't want, yes. Sickness, problems, pressures, tribulations, yes. Miserable? If you're lost without Jesus Christ and you sit in your bed at night and you look up at the stars and you wonder what's up there and what's out there and what's going to happen to me when I die, can I just tell you that 2,000 years ago, a man that loved you enough to die for you, not to make you religious, not to make you, well, I've got to do this and I've got I to keep the Ten Commandments. And you have broken most of them already anyways. So let's stop right there and let's realize that all of sin and come short of the glory of God The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. When you compare your life to the life of a man that never sinned, you will fall short every single time. But yet God loved you enough to send his son to die in your place. The Bible says 
Here's a man, there, there, uh, uh, recently there's been a lot of talk about child exploitation and human trafficking and all the stuff that's going on underneath the layers of, of, of government and political powers and all the evil and all that kind of stuff. But you know what was amazing about all of that? The reality is this, someday God's going to uncover everything. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And here is Jesus, the God, manifest in the flesh. And the Bible says, as he hangs on that cross, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because the Bible says, he didn't just bear our sin. He became our sin. My lust, my pride, my envy, my covetousness, my anger, my wrath, my pride became all of that. All that is wrong with humanity laid on one man. And he loved you enough to die for you and pay for your sins. If you wake up in eternity and you don't wake up in heaven, it won't be his fault. He wants you to have eternal life. And he wants you to believe on him. And when you get saved, he wants you to live an abundant life. I think some of you right now, you're fixated on the one thing that isn't right in your life. And you're staring at it. And you're missing the bigger picture. And because of that, you're kind of miserable. You know, I, 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 listen, I don't, I, mean, I don't mean to be hard on you. We've had Wednesday nights with like a lot less people and the singing blows the roof off. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you. We don't want to be like Herod. Lord, we want to live an abundant life. We want to leave a, a, a legacy much more like that of our Savior. Lord, uh, we're not sinless, we know that, but God, when I think about Jesus and I think about Mary Magdalene and the other Marys and I think about Peter and, and John going to the grave and I think about Joseph of Arimathea and I think about Nicodemus and all these people that showed up as a tribute to his death because of how he lived. Lord, it was a, an amazing life. Lord, we don't, we don't live every day thinking about the end, but every once in a while it's good to do that. Lord, I just pray that rather than it being a miserable life, it'd be a joyful life. Lord, that we could experience what it's like to lead others to Jesus, that we could experience what it's like to show others the way, that we could experience what it's like to quit thinking of self and Think about you and put you at the center instead of us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're a believer, do not allow your life to reflect that of Herod's. You have an opportunity with what God is doing in your life, whatever it is, to have joy. Exceeding rejoicing doesn't mean you like everything, but you can find God in it. Let go of that desire, that need, that urge to control and to manipulate. It is liberating to say, God, it's in your hands. God, it's yours. It'll do you so much good. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask a question. It's a frequently asked one here, but if you were to die today, do you know you'd be in heaven? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you have the peace that comes from 
having eternal life. If that's you, slip up your hand. I know, that's, I know I'm saved. I got saved when I was 12 years old. Silver State Baptist Youth Camp. I'll never forget it. Thankful for that day. I don't know what day it was exactly. I know it was the summer of 1993. My life has never been the same. Let me ask you this. If you could not raise your hand and you're not sure where you're going when you pass away, you don't have that peace, you don't have that assurance. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around, just between you and the Lord. Would you be open and honest and don't live a double life, be real. Be real and honest with God. If you could not raise your hand, would you be honest enough maybe at this time to slip it up and go, I don't think I'm saved, but man, I'd like to know that I have eternal life. I'd like to know that God is my father, that heaven is my home, that my sins, my guilt, my past, the things that have been, that are the skeletons in my closet, the things that I hope nobody ever finds out, I'd love for that to be buried in the sea of God's forgiveness and forgetfulness. And if that's you, could you be honest, maybe with every head bowed, every eye closed, for you to slip up your hand and go, I'd like to be saved. I can't make you saved. I don't wave a magic wand and go, bam, you're saved. But I'd love to pray for you. Is anybody here like that? Your soul, Jesus said this, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For what shall a prophet man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You don't want to do that. And you don't have to. You, you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. cannot emphasize this enough. We are going to have trouble in this life. The Bible says man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. You're not going to get away from trouble. It's not about all your problems going away. This is what I'm trying to get at. It, it's about you changing. You allowing God to change you from the inside out. And you can have joy. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you for coming today. And especially for those that visited for the first time, we were glad to have you. Pray you uh, consider coming again. And uh, don't forget, candlelight service, uh, Friday the 23rd. Grab some of those invites on your way out. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Thank God for a good day together. And I would ask one more time uh, if you guys would pray for our building situation and pray for Olivia to come into this world healthy and safe. And uh, as soon as she is born, you will know about it, all right? <laughs> uh, you will hear about it for sure. So. Uh, love you guys. Thankful for our church family. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Thomas Hohola. Uh, brother, I've heard people call you Jojola. I'm like, no, you're killing his name. <laughs> Hohola. Brother, if you would close this out in a word of prayer. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs>